for me as a black woman that I do, I think about where I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, and so I don't know if as you're thinking about this more, you realize it from the other perspective, like, wow, I literally don't ever have to do that. I mm -hmm. literally don't ever have to think about the color of my skin before I make a decision. And then the effects that are going to come from that. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess, and we're so excited to talk to you today. We have two special guests that I'll let Jess introduce. Yes, yes. We got Corin and Molly here. Um, Corin and I went to college together, and hey, guess Molly. me and Molly went to college together. <laughs> um, but this is the first time I'm actually meeting Molly, and I'm super excited because I've heard so much about her. Um, Corin and I have stayed in touch over the last few years, which has been awesome. Um, and he's started this beautiful family that will, I'm sure, touch on during the episode, but um, we wanted to bring you both on just because I love watching your YouTube videos and I love the vibes and just, I feel like I know so much about you. And I think that um, your relationship and just you both individually have so much to offer to the conversation. And so I felt like these were the two people to, to bring on. Does she have to sell you on having us on the podcast? No, no, <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. No, no, we're, we're very collaborative. It just like, we think this person should be on the podcast. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, there was, there was no selling involved. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to do this episode on interracial relationships because obviously Jess and I are in, we're married, we're in a relationship. And a lot of the podcast comes from our own perspective in regards to what it's like to be in a same-sex relationship. And all different types of relationships are nuanced platonic relationships, relationships with your kids, um, romantic relationships as well. And there's just so much nuance into them that we thought it would be important to bring a different perspective, um, particularly around the topic of interracial relationships. So I'm really excited to talk about that today. Yeah, same here. Um, so let's, let's dive in. How did you both meet? Um, I, I know my version of the story. <laughs> of the story. So um, I would like to hear Molly's version of the story of how she thinks we met, if that's cool. Yeah. So we first, Corn first saw me at Cortland Orientation. So we were both transferring in the same year. And so that's where he saw me. He didn't come up to me. He just mm -hmm. told me this after he, he like remembered what I was wearing. So I was in DeFi at Cortland and we were at a Cortica party and he came up to me and was like I saw you at orientation you were wearing a pink sweater and I was no like, way <laughs> um, and then that's how we first officially met I think maybe we like exchanged numbers and I just remember he was like I'm going downtown to get pizza and then a, a little while after that we started hanging out but that was like our first official meeting was at a party yeah I I could uh confirm that so like <laughs> I, I went, thought it was a really creepy like 
line. Like a yeah. line. It's really weird and really creepy because he told me what I was wearing. I think I might have like played off like, oh, I was just kidding type of deal, but like I actually really remembered what she was wearing, which was weird. But like, so yeah, I went to orientation with my dad and I remember just like me and him going up to Cortland and um, I didn't think I was going to get into Cortland. So like, it was like really cool that I got in and I'd never really, when I went to SUNY Cobalt School, my first school, um, there was no like orientation process. There was no like real college feel to it. So mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't, I didn't know how other kids like interacted on first days and whatnot. And like what orientations were like. So when I went to, um, when I went to Cortland with my dad, we were like sitting in the cafeteria and like, we were just talking and like, I don't know, I think in high school, like people just had a vision, like, oh, you go to college, like you meet a girlfriend and then like, um, and then like, that's who you end up spending the rest of your life with type mm -hmm. of girl. So I'm at orientation and like, <clears throat> it sounds corny, but like, I think Molly was like sitting like directly in line with my dad, like behind my father. Mm -hmm. And like, I was just like looking at her and we could get into like how like Molly's like skin tone or whatever but like she just like was different to me like she just like was beautiful and like she's like it's she was like glowing and uh it just stuck with me it was like a vivid memory I had in my mind and I remembered what she was wearing and then even when like she left it was something that stuck with me so like I I, I don't know if I just tell myself this because now that we're married but I feel like ever since that day leading up to the party where I did officially meet her I like always had a vision of her in my mind, like hoping she would go to Cortland and I would see her yeah. and then I the party and everything just like came together. And I was like, yo, that's the girl with the pink jacket from. It's <laughs> <laughs> wild. So like I told her that and it came off creepy, but it was true. And it, it, it worked. <laughs> and here, thankfully. here we are with two kids later. So that's adorable. I mean, it's almost like you manifested that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Like, I, I know when you, uh, I'm sure you have the same type of story with Jess, um, with Steph. I'm sorry, I keep saying Jess because I'm talking to you. So. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's like these like fairy tale stories you have when you're married to someone. And like, it, it, it almost like is like some fate story. And it's just cool that there is that story because I, I remember, I don't remember much, but I remember that. Yeah. Well, Molly's glowing right now. She's like, wow. I'm like embarrassed. Like, no, that's adorable. I mean, that's, that is adorable. That's great. You can remember that. And like, that's such a vivid moment, right? Yeah, like, she's just at the party. And like, if any guy walked up to her, like, maybe <laughs> they could be her husband. I've got this miraculous story. Yeah, She was just out to party that night. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so good. <laughs> I love that. It's so great. That. So, so you, 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 you met at Cortland. Corinne, you made the first move. We've we've established that. Um, how has your relationship evolved since Cortland? Yeah, like a brief overview. So you guys went to school together. You obviously have kids, but like, what's like the storyline there? Well, we so we met that time at Cortland, but I actually went home for a semester. So we met that semester, and then I went home in the spring, and then I came back, and we stayed in touch, and then I, we still didn't even start dating for almost a year later. Like we just neither of both of us were in relationships before that and we were just like would always hang out and we were really good friends and then we started dating right before corn graduated because he's a year older than me and then i'm from upstate new york he's from westchester so it was this like 
even when I went home, we were really far away. So we had kind of a long distance um, relationship for a while. And then um, I moved to the city after college and Corn was in Westchester. So we were very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, our relationship has really changed because I think we've done a lot of growing up together, which I think anybody who starts dating in college, I mean, you're a college, you're a kid, you're a teenager. Yeah. I think I was like 19, I'm 31 now. So mm-hmm. go through the phase of like partying, going out, you know, having to do school. And then I moved right after college to, um, like I had a, a split an apartment with my sister. So I had like rent right away. And I had all of the stress of like the financial and he still lived with his parents, which was great, but it was like very different. Like I used to cry to him like every day that I was not going to be able to like pay my rent or mm-hmm. like just eating ramen noodles. Cause I was just like right out of college and broke. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, and then to where we are now, we have a house, we have two kids and it's just like very, we both have a career. So we've been through just a lot of different stages in our life in the time. And, and it's been nice to be able to still maintain our relationship through that. Because I think even our age, which is still young in our marriage, we've only been married four years, but we've been together almost 11, um, that some people don't grow up together. And mm-hmm. I think we have even though at different paces, we've still been able to support each other through Mm -hmm. the different phases that we've been through. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, it it lets you have a solid like foundation because you know, I don't know people who just jump right into marriage. Like I guess sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but like, I guess I have like an understanding of where she comes from on a lot of different topics or like, Mm -hmm thought processes on a lot of different things because I've seen her at so many different stages of her life you know like Sora when she was young Sora you know when we were both going through hard times with jobs and like you know trying to make money and all this stuff and now to a spot where like you know we both are comfortable in our job with our daughters so it's like having that foundation of just being with someone for so long you don't realize it like when you're fighting or when you're happy but like it's just there you know Mm. Um, all the like things that you've been through together. Yeah, we can totally relate to that. Um, Steph and I have been dating since, um, I, what was I, 23? <laughs> Sorry, I timeline, Jess. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, was like, it 22? So Steph's, Steph's like a few months older than me. So I like giving her a hard time that she's dating someone younger. Um, but, you know, we were a little older than you guys were uh, at the time, but I feel the exact same way. Like we have been through so many things and I'm also turning 31 in, in November. So I think back to it and I'm like, holy shit. Like we were together when we were kids. Like I didn't know shit when I was like 22 years old. And like just knowing how stuff functions, how she processes her emotions, how our fighting style has changed, how we communicate and just mm-hmm. having that foundation to be like, I know why you're that way. And I'm going to be patient about that because I understand versus if we just started dating now, I don't know how I would, you know, work through that. So I completely get that. Just we, we, we watch red table talk and with data pick and Smith. And there was one episode where she, what did she, she said that you should like date someone or know someone for 20 years before you marry them. And Jess was like, actually, that might be a great idea. Um, but I, I actually am intrigued by that concept because not, I don't think you need 20 years, but I do think that you need more than a couple years. And I, I think ideally you would start as friends mm-hmm. because 
you know, Molly, you mentioned it is like you grew together and I think that's helped. And that's the same thing with Jess and I, like some people grow apart. Some people don't end up not having the same goals in life. Some people are actually like really shitty partners, but you don't realize that until like two to three years in where like the mask that they were wearing is off finally. Yeah. Um, now, now in coronavirus, when I say mask, people think of like the mask yeah. that they put on, but yeah. I mean like what they're metaphorically, to, yeah, yes. metaphorically. Yeah. Um, so I think people can very easily grow apart and it's hard for you to see if you're in sync, if you know someone for only a, like a year or two and then jump into marriage. Cause there's always something to look forward to. And I think that masks any issues that you may have, right? Like you're dating, it's new, you're engaged. That's great. Now you're getting married. That's great. If you want to have kids, like now you're going to have kids. That's great. And then once you have the kids, you're like, what else is there? I actually don't like you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's like, I would say it's interesting because you realize like how things work. Like, I don't know. I'm a big um, proponent of like, just letting things happen naturally and like letting things run its course and take its time. And I think it's almost like the way we started dating, how she was not at Cortland for like a semester almost worked into our favor because it's like we were apart but still had like still we're talking and then when she came back it just made seeing her even better and then mm -hmm. when I was living at home and she lived with her sister in, in in Harlem was like we saw each other when she was done with work and it was like appreciating those moments a little yeah. bit more whereas like I mean and I don't want to there's not a right and wrong way to do a relationship but like sometimes people will move in too fast and they mm -hmm. will see that they weren't they don't work well together that way and it's like mm -hmm. um there's like i think it was just like a perfect storm like separation to come back and then see each other and then like you slowly work into like hey like why don't we try this and then molly lived at my parents house in my basement mm -hmm. with me for a couple months or whatever mm -hmm. then oh like a year and a half yeah a year and a half. <laughs> couple months a year and a half <laughs> <laughs> I, I was comfortable there. I'm yeah. ready to go back. But that, I, I, I don't know if you need to be with someone for 20 years, but I think also now nowadays it's more acceptable to live with someone before mm -hmm. marriage. Whereas, you know, maybe our parents' age, that was like yeah. taboo. But I think it's so important because so, you when you really peel back and you live with someone in their home and you see, you know, what they do in their own space you really I, I can't imagine just like that be the first time you're living with someone like no. right after you're married and you're like oh shit now we're married and I'm stuck with you and I can't stand the way you just live your life in your own space because it's yeah. very different than like out of your home Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think yeah. we wanted to strangle each other when we first moved in together. It was, it was the Jets foam finger for me <laughs> that she would not get rid of. <laughs> you know, I don't have that anymore. You love bringing that up. Yeah. When we first moved in, like, oh man, I was like, wow, this is hard. This is crazy. But I couldn't agree more. Like, it's so important to take those baby steps. So yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Jets foam finger and all. <laughs> um, no, I threw that oh, out. <laughs> after many discussions, she uh, oh, she decided to. Get I was rid of quite the, the I was quite the hoarder before. I'm I'm a minimalist now, but we've come yeah, a long way. That's this one. He's a hoarder. We got seven <laughs> bobbleheads in the basement. Probably some foam fingers. I probably have your foam fingers. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, basement. you probably gave it. You probably do. Donated <laughs> to a Goodwill. <laughs> and in Illinois, yeah, I got it. 
great. It made its way to a nice I, home. I love that. Um, so I, um, I, I love the conversation we're having and I, I definitely appreciate the, the chat around like evolution and growing and whatnot. I want to talk a little bit about race um, and how race has played a role um, in your relationship. I would specifically love it if before you answer that question, you, you, you could answer the question of when was the first time that race came up in your relationship? Um, I'll let Molly answer because I'll, I'll be completely honest. Like, and, and I thought about this before, like maybe I'm naive to it and like just stuff around me, but like it, <clears throat> it hasn't really like come up too much. Like, in my eyes and like just the outside world of anything around us. I will say the first time it really like not struck a chord with me. I don't know the right term, but Molly and I went on a date and I was driving her car and I was getting off an exit and long story short, I totaled her car. Like I totaled the front of her car. This is when we first started dating. I, I, I don't even think we were officially dating. We might've not been officially no. dating. Oh like, man. I think we were going to meet her father oh, and, and I, and I got off the exit and this exit where she's from is like notorious for accidents. And I, long story short, I crashed the front of her car mm -hmm. and I had never met her father. I'd never seen her father, but I just remember her like telling me about her father. And she was just like, my father's this big black guy. And like, this is going to be like your first interaction <laughs> with him. And like, not that that matters, but like, I was just like, shit, like I just crashed his car. Like I'm, he's going to kill me. Um, and he ended up coming to the scene uh, where we had the accident and he just couldn't have been more nice. Like he wasn't even <laughs> mad that I just crashed his car with his daughter in it. And like, I'm like semi like dating his daughter. And um, that I just remember Molly saying like, he's he's like do you remember like you were like he's just this big black guy like and I was like what does that mean like <laughs> uh, so I don't know why she said it like that or like yeah. what like why uh, she even mentioned that but like that was my first yeah remembrance of her saying like her father's this big black guy because to me it never even like crossed my mind I had always thought like when like going back to that first orientation day I had always wondered like what her nationality was because like she like I thought she was like Hawaiian or like whatever I had no idea um but that was the first time that race really came up I guess in a conversation between both of us yeah yeah I don't know I do remember that and um do you remember it, why you said like no I don't, <laughs> I don't know because I think I don't know like my dad is like I don't know if you've ever seen him on Corin's channel I have I don't think so he's a big guy and um I think I just I don't know why I don't know why I said that but um and I'm trying to think outside of that it just in general like I don't think we've had many experiences as a couple around race like out in the outside world like Corin said I mean my dad with any person in my whole life you know, not that I have this like huge long dating history, but even like in high school when I had a boyfriend, I've always only ever dated white guys. And mm -hmm. my dad has always had a conversation with every single one of them about dating 
um, someone who's black. And that could be because of his experiences, because my dad was also an interracial relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I know they've had their own experiences. And so, and also as a black man, he's had tons of different experiences. So it's always something. And so you probably, I mean, you've had tons of conversations with my dad about this. And so, and, and then both of us together have had conversations with my dad about this. And so, um, in our home, there's been a lot of those, but like in the outside world, I don't know that together we really experienced anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, don't, I don't know that anybody's ever said anything to us or like mm -hmm. witness some of the things that have happened to me. Like I'm not. I remember we were at a bar and there was a kid from, from Cortland there who like you came in and and he was like, oh, it's Becky with the good hair or something like that. Like what, referencing. What did I do? Like, I think like, be, like, isn't that from a song like Becky with the like good like hair or something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't it is from a song. Yeah. It's from a Beyonce song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't, I mean, that, I, don't I feel know like that that's not a great answer, answer, but that's, I don't think there's really been any experiences of us together in the outside world where I've experienced racism with you there really even. What about like um, together with uh, like to each other? Uh, I'm trying to find the way to explain this, but um, uh, Molly, you obviously like when I look at you, you are a woman of color. Um, you're a black woman. Um, and the I'm, I'm sure the world perceives you that way. So I'm sure you've had experiences um, around your race. What about like when you come home, like do you talk to Corin about that stuff? Have you had conversations around that? Yeah, yeah. In our home, yeah, a lot. We, we talk about that. And even um, when we just recently gave birth, um, well, I gave birth, Corin did not. <laughs> give birth, but when I gave birth to Scotty, our daughter, um, Corin actually wasn't in the room for that. Um, I was downstairs yeah. getting a cheeseburger. They told it, me I had He didn't have time. They told, we thought we had time, but we didn't. And so anyways, the nurse in general, and just in general, with my whole experience with both my girls, with the pregnancy, the doctor's office, there was only two of the five doctors that I liked. And at my office, you have to see all five. It's like, because whoever's on call that day is going to deliver your baby. Mm -hmm. And I really did not feel safe with three of the doctors. And I felt like they didn't listen to anything I was saying. And that that wasn't even my first medical experience. There was something even before that. Mm -hmm. But with the, both girls, I felt that way. So with Scotty, I had I was induced to make sure the doctor that I felt comfortable with um, would deliver her. Because if you've ever looked at any research, I don't know if mm -hmm. or you've heard of it, but just the outcomes of black women, like the mortality rate of it and with their babies, the C-section rates because of, you know, the doctors not believing them that they're in pain or they're, you know, all the different mm -hmm. reasons. And that's, I was like really scared of like dying or having to have an unnecessary C-section. Yeah. So I made sure to do that. But so my doctor that I wanted delivered her, but the nurse in the room was like so mean to me. And when I was delivering Scotty, I mean, it was so fast. I didn't have any pain medicine. So I was screaming like I was delivering a baby and she was in my face telling me to stop screaming. Wow. Well, oh I wasn't there, just me. And she was like in my face. And so 
I feel like that experience wouldn't like, I feel like those experiences are centered around race. Yeah. Um, and so, and then even before when we first ever got pregnant, we actually had an ectopic pregnancy, which is like in your tube. And I knew something was wrong. I didn't know I was pregnant, but I knew something was wrong. And I had a male doctor, a white male doctor, and I called him on three separate occasions and I was like, something is wrong. He just told me it's fine. Then he prescribed me a medicine without seeing me. He finally saw me and was like, you're fine. So then I got a second opinion. I went to my doctor who I have now, who I love. And they found that my tube was like rupturing, like my fallopian tube was rupturing and I was starting to hemorrhage and I had emergency surgery that day to get the tube removed. But again, like he didn't believe me. I was like, I know something is not right. And it wasn't. And so like that is, that is fatal if you don't um, address that because if your tube ruptures inside of you, um, you will probably die. So, I mean, those are just like, so we obviously talked a lot about those scenarios and like with birth, why I was like so specific on, um, you know, making sure I deliver with a certain doctor for my safety, for our baby safety, because I just, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel supported. And so. It's also something that like, I feel like a a lot of people, that's not something I don't think you would have known if you didn't look into that, you know, like if she had told me, the doctor <clears throat> was just yelling in my face to like calm down, calm down. I would have been like, oh, that's just, she's just a mean lady. You know, like I would have never correlated that with race, you know? And like, mm-hmm. so that goes to like what I had mentioned earlier. Like maybe we're naive, maybe there's stuff happening and we mm-hmm. just don't even realize it. You know, like I saw something interesting with sports, like the way they, the way the media um, and like society perceives a black athlete compared to a white athlete is like, they'll always put an image of like LeBron James next to like this ferocious lion and like, you know, all mm-hmm. these like, sort of like not scary images, but like, you know, like just like very like aggressive or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then a white athlete like Tom Brady or something, it's more graceful and elegant, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, they do that with all of like, like Serena Williams will get a cover that is just like, you know, this uh, aggressive animal or something like that. And like, yeah. it's just, the way society like has just always done this is something that people have never realized. Like when she told me that stat of like black women dying more in, in labor could be because nurses or whatever, like don't take them seriously when they're in pain Mm -hmm. or like it's, it's, it's crazy. And I don't think a lot of people realize that stuff unless they do the research and like look into it. And I'm happy she told me that because I would have just been like, that nurse is a bitch. Like I don't know if I could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can say it for it. <laughs> and just like brushed it aside. But like, there's way bigger issues to race than what people even see. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even as like um, people of color, I think it's also important to know the research because I've had many instances where I've I have gone to doctors and I have said like. I'm in pain for this or I'm in pain for that. And they're like, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. And I gaslight myself and I'm like, maybe I'm not in that much pain. Like if the doctor doesn't think I'm in that much pain, if the doctor is saying this is normal, then it must be normal. But it's like, no, you know your own body and you know your own pain threshold. If my pain threshold is one where I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain, it's your job as a doctor to 
put me at, at ease in some way and listen to my concerns and help me figure out a solution. And so without even knowing that research, I think you can, as, as a woman of color, as a black woman, walk out of a doctor's office and be like, well, maybe I, maybe the doctor is right. Maybe I am being dramatic. Maybe I am like, maybe this is normal. Um, so the research is, is definitely important. Yeah. That shit's real. I mean, it's a whole system, right? It's like the doctor, the whole medical staff, like it's real. Like those stats are crazy. We had, um, Steph's best friend is a midwife. Um, and we had an episode with her where she just talked about this and that's the reason why she's in the business because like, it's crazy how like discrimination plays such a huge role in whether medical outcome. Yeah. Like whether a black woman lives or dies. And that's insane to think about when this person is bringing in life and you're going to treat them way different with like a white woman. So I'm sorry that happened to you. That's awful. Um, and I'm glad you have someone to kind of talk through that because that's yeah. Your point. (laughs) What's up? I said, I didn't listen to anything she said. (laughs) As you were um, eating your cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, like, you asked about race and, like, having a black wife, like, it and, you know, her father and my father-in-law, George, like, I have these conversations and it makes me, like, realize these things that I've never realized before. Like, I've, I've never considered myself racist. Like, I, you know, like but you never really fully understand something until you have conversations with someone who, who can like express that to you. Like Mm -hmm. you get pulled over as a white guy, you don't know. My experience is totally different than a black guy or anybody for that matter. Like, yeah. But I think even still like my experience versus like my brothers or my dad is like nowhere even near the experiences they have, or even what Taryn experiences. Taryn is my sister. Um, And so, um, with that, it's so important to just listen to, to Mm -hmm. people and hear what they have to say and hear their experiences. That's how you learn. That's how you learn that like medical racism isn't only just when you're giving birth. I mean, that is for like all across the board, you have racism for, you know, anything and really knowing how to advocate for yourself. But then what that looks like you know, your experience being pulled over as a white man versus an experience as a black man is like, if a black man gets pulled over, like they could, they're probably fearful they might lose their life in the next 10 minutes for literally Mm -hmm. doing nothing. And so being open to hearing all of these different things is so important. So you can learn about it. And then so we can start making change because you know, people just pretend that it doesn't, isn't real or white privilege isn't real when it like, Mm -hmm. it is real yeah like that's just a small uh, i don't even know if there's the right word microcosm of it but like next time if we have a third child or something like that and the nurse is doing that again i can like now address that differently than i would in the past or maybe i would just brush it off that like this lady is just telling my wife if i'm in the room not getting a cheeseburger to to tell the nurse like hey she's in pain she's allowed to feel however she wants to feel like Mm -hmm. so like I said, in the past, maybe I would just let it go and be like, Molly, like, calm down or something. No, I wouldn't say that, but like, you just, I have a different yeah. understanding. You would hesitate. You would hesitate. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. But like, you do the research, you do the homework, and now you're more prepared for the next time a situation arises. Yeah. Corin, how do you think 
your perspective on life has changed, you know, having these conversations with Molly and having these conversations with um, Molly's dad, because black men have a completely different experience in, in this country, particularly around interactions with the police and the abuse that they face. So I, I'm very interested in terms of, you know, how those conversations have impacted your perspective. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. like recently it's really, um, um, affected me a lot more and I've had a lot deeper conversations. We were just back in Rochester and Molly's brother is a firefighter in Rochester and they've got a ton of stuff going on right now. Um, and you know, I had a conversation with Molly's father and I'm, I'm kind of into politics because a really good buddy of mine, um, has like a really popular political show on YouTube. Um, and he's in that political space. So like I sort of get wrapped into that world. Um, and I think we're caught up in like this Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, um, who to vote for right now. And, and, and obviously Trump is the worst person ever. And I think a conversation that I've had with Kyle is like, right now it's just the lesser of two evils and like both candidates suck, but obviously you got to choose Biden because Trump is worse. Um, and I had a conversation with Molly's father and the things that I look at Joe Biden for being like bad about or something like that and how he can be better. George looks at totally different, you know, like, so the point sounded better in my head and you staring at me doesn't help. (laughs) Make make the point. We're we're here to hear it. But like black people are asking for so many different things than white people. So while I might be looking to a presidential candidate to get, uh, you know, uh, Medicare for all and, and erase all student debt, like, a black person just wants like equality. Like, so like mm-hmm. they, they're working in like incremental baby steps of, 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 they've always had to choose the lesser of two candidates because no candidate has yeah. ever wanted to help a black person at the end of the day. Um, and like when he had told, when he told me that, I was like, damn, you're right. Like I'm looking at a presidential candidate to help me do all these things that like, you're not, you just want, you just want equality. Like, mm-hmm. th- like, so that was something that was interesting to me because while I look at things a certain way, black people, the way they've been treated in society are just like way further behind that. And like, they're asking for totally different things than I'm asking for. So having that understanding and just appreciation that like, we're, we're, we're not all equal. And while we want it to be like, black people don't have the same opportunities as white people. And I don't know, I've just had a lot more conversations with George about that and having a, just a different perspective and outlook on the things that, you know, black people go through that I, if you call it white privilege, would never have to go through. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if that answers the question. I, but like, it no, it definitely does. It just, it really highlights the fact that like, you as a white man, you do have white privilege. We've talked about this, right? So like you, when the way you, the world sees you as a white man and for anybody, like for me, for Steph, for Molly, like we navigate the world and we're focused on the things that affect us, right? Like if I was a white woman, I'm sure my experience would be way different than it is as being me. Um, and something we're, we're blindsided to that, right? There's so much happening in the world. And for us, it's like, all right, what are the issues that are affecting me? And if I'm not 
connected to any of that other stuff. And I'm sure there's things that I don't even think about um, that don't affect me that I'm like looking at a candidate. I'm like, they look really good for like things that are aligned with me. But then if I speak to somebody else who maybe somebody who's um, transgender, transgender or whatever, differently able, they might be like, well, that candidate, you know, really sucks in regards to like giving me rights. And for me, that's an eye opener. And like, I have to think about that. For me, it's about human rights and it's about equality for all. And so that turns me really off to candidates. Um, But it takes being to what Molly was saying, listening and really taking that in and understanding that like, man, I do have a lot of fucking privilege. And like, how can I help this person by just listening and taking that with me to the way I vote, the way I spend my dollar, the way I interact with people. Um, so it completely makes sense. I think listening has been a really big gap that's been missing in conversations about race. Mm-hmm. I think it's gotten worse in the last four years. I think a part of that has to do with the fact that there's so much like, um, people are living in kind of like their own worlds of bubbles of information where they truly believe that like something may be true, even if it's not. And there's like, I think it's now it's gotten to the point where it's it's now become a discussion around like human rights and it's hard to have a discussion with someone when they're disagreeing with you about human rights because you're like what 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 is there to argue about like what is there to even discuss um so I think it's just been so difficult um to have those conversations those conversations are even more important now but they've just become so difficult because there is so much false information that is out there about everything. People are living in their own bubbles. Yeah. People, I mean, like, I know, I've never been afraid to like talk about the issue, but like sometimes like, I don't know, I'm afraid of maybe I'll say the wrong thing. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think, what did I say in a conversation we had, we did a chat about interracial. Yeah. I said I like, remember. I said like, what did I say mixed or did I, I said like half black or something. And, um, Molly's George called me and was like she's black like oh I remember I think he said that in one of the talks you had with him I remember that yeah yeah yeah. he called me out for that and like rightfully so because she's black yeah but I think the thing is is like we're never gonna show up perfectly in these conversations I think they're really difficult conversations for people to have especially um in conversations where maybe i've i've come to the realization with this that in my life i can't give a pass to people anymore who are being racist whether it's overtly or inadvertently mm-hmm. so whether it's people in my own family yep. or you know friends of mine like it's not okay and so i very kindly have called out a lot of people in my life over the last couple of months because i'm like i don't i don't want my kids growing up seeing me like allowing that type Mm -hmm. of verbiage, you know, and, and it's not just about race, but any type of um, discrimination in that way is not okay. And I don't want to set that example for my kids. So um, with that being said, like, sometimes I have the conversation with people and then they'll say like, oh, I didn't want to say any, like, I didn't, I don't know how to talk about this with you. or I don't know how to bring it up. And that's okay. I think these are hard conversations to have. Mm-hmm. And we're not always going to say the things, say things the right way, but being open, listening, having the conversation um, is, is a great place to start. I couldn't agree more. For yeah. Sure. I think I, I can speak for myself and say like, when I enter a conversation, I know nothing about, I tell myself to leave my ego behind 
and just be okay with making a mistake. Like I think the biggest thing, and I've had some really hard conversations this year, this year with people, the biggest thing is when somebody can just take accountability for what they just said, be like, yeah, my bad. Like I didn't. So how can I, you know, if the other person has the space to like teach me that, cause some people don't have the space and that's completely okay. So I think just the fact that you Corin, want to have the conversation, that's huge because that's not always the case. And then two, just not being afraid to be told that you're wrong. Cause that sucks too, right? To be being yeah. like, I'm my, I'm having my best intention here. And then you're telling me I'm wrong. That's a shot to my ego. And I'm like, shit, I'm a bad person. That doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you human. Um, oh. And it's, Steph says this all the time. It's not about how you go about it in, in that moment. It's how you respond to it after. Like, are you going to make it better and like not do that again? Yeah. Um, so kudos to you guys for having those conversations. I know that, that that's not easy, um, especially in this climate. So Yeah. So talking about this climate, race has become, I think for, for people of color and, and black people, race has always been at the forefront of our minds because it's the world that we live in. But I think America in general, and maybe even the world, I think race has become, has had a much bigger spotlight and has been at the forefront in more conversations um, than I had experienced in the past. What kind of impact has it had on your relationship? I'll let Molly answer because I think she's sort of I've like been the leader of the family of like making sure our daughters, you know, like we've purchased so many books now that like highlight like a, a black character or like a female character or like um, a Hispanic character or someone like mm -hmm. I think she's done a great job of like really making it known that i don't know i think you've you've started to like make me realize things that i'm saying that could be wrong or like i don't know can you help me out here yeah i don't know you said you're gonna <laughs> like, let me answer and then you're just answering so more top of mind yeah like alley-oop so you could just um, dunk that shit <laughs> He always says when we do, you know, our chats that I interrupt him. So I'm like, you know, letting him finish. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I, I think I've always had the intention with our girls to make sure that this is a topic of conversation. But just with the books we had, they're all baby board books that like are shapes, colors, you know, there's really not it's not like we have books downstairs that are just all white, blonde haired, blue eyed kids. But now that especially our um, two and a half year old, she likes books that aren't necessarily the, the baby books now. So um, back after, you know, George George, yeah, George Floyd and everything kind of took off the way it did back in June, we bought tons of books and just not only about race, but also that families look different. You know, mm -hmm. one of her favorite books is this right now is called Papa Daddy, Papa Daddy Riley. And it's two guys who, um, you know, had a baby through a surrogate and mm -hmm. talks about why she looks like one of them and like how they're both still her dad. And so that book, but then also it shows like different, all different kinds of families in that book. And so different colors, different, you know, people raising them. And I think that's also really important. Um, 
to just teach your kids from a young age that every family looks different. Everybody looks different. All skin colors are different. And recently, you know, we are obviously in our interracial couple or interracial marriage, Mm -hmm. but our daughters are, their skin color is, is super light. And so having the conversation, this is something I talk to my dad about because how do I explain to my daughter that although her skin is like very white like she's still black yeah because Mm -hmm. I don't want her to like that's still important to me that she knows and my dad will always say and I don't know if he said this live on Corn's chat but when they spoke after or it might be in there um and why he's saying if you're not mixed you're black because back when we had slave well we didn't have slaves but back when Mm -hmm. there was slavery it was like the one drop rule. So if you had a drop of black in you, like you were still a slave. Like if you were one sixteenth black, like you're still black. Doesn't matter how white your skin is. And so it's important to me that our daughters know that they are still black. And they'll still, although their skin, they'll experience a lot of privilege because of the color that their skin is. Yeah. But you know, I'm still their mom and I will still be bringing them to school and people will still know that, you know, their family is black. Mm-hmm. And so they're still going to have to deal with things in a much different way. And then they'll also have to deal with the fact that, you know, from a mental perspective, just knowing that the, the color of their skin and, and I think you might, I don't know if you feel this way, just based on like, you hear my dad ex- dad's experience in being a black woman. I always, as, as you kind of we're saying stuff, but it's always something we think about when mm-hmm. we're a person of color. It's something, and I said to Corin like a couple weeks ago, I was like, I've never thought about it this way before, but I said, it's kind of weird to think about that. Like my whole life up to this point and forevermore, I'll always have to think about my skin color. Like what, where I go, like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to go to like, Ar- not Arkansas, um, Alabama or like, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to drive through like these these deep red states where I like, especially at nighttime or like when we drive home to New York in the middle of the night and we're driving through the middle of Pennsylvania and I'm like, I would never do that alone. Right. You know? So it's just these things that we have to as, or me as a black woman that I do, I think about where I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, and so I don't know if as you're thinking about this more, you realize it from the other perspective, like, wow, I literally don't ever have to do that. I mm-hmm. literally don't ever have to think about the color of my skin before I make a decision and then the effects that are going to come from that. So um, I think just with with the conversations we've had and the things that I think about this all the time, I've always thought about it in my life. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's just how the brain works because of our skin colors and we know these things but Mm -hmm. also trying to make that um for our daughters kind of making sure that they understand that as well and they're they're super young two and a half and seven months so obviously they don't really grasp but it's important to start those conversations now so we're not trying to teach them about this um and the research shows that kids already start making these decisions at these ages, like who they're going to play with um, yeah. based on the color of people's skins and what wow. they're used to. So, yeah, that's so important. Um, Corin, how has that impacted you and like the conversations maybe you've had with within like your family around this, like with race and everything Molly has just talked about? Like, ha- does this come up? Because I mean, this is a hot topic right now. So I'm just interested if you're willing to share. 
Yeah. Um, it came up like with my mom. My mom did something. On yeah. Facebook, this was right? more a conversation I had with his mom. Cause it is, I said before, I'm not going to give a pass to people in my family. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I have family. My mom is white. So all of my mom's family is white. So I, I had to, I said something to my cousin on my mom's side. And then also Corin's mom, she posted, I don't remember. Nothing. It was I nothing posted bad, um, really like a picture of all the different, like a bunch of different books that we got our girls. And she commented, I don't remember what she commented at all, but I felt like it was very, um, just it, there was something about it that I felt it was inappropriate and didn't um it just wasn't appropriate and so I called her and I was just like um basically telling her that as a mother of two white or three white kids she's never had to experience the things that a mother of black kids have had to deal mm-hmm. with so if you're a mother of black kids and like I said before, they get pulled over, they're worried they're called the call they're going to get is like they're dead versus, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was like, I have had those fears when Corin, you know, went out drinking and I'm like, that's because of a choice he made. He decided he would go out and party. He didn't just decide one day he wanted to wake up and put black skin on. And you know, that that's, he was born that way or you know and they don't have a choice in these things and they it's very different and so I was I was personally offended by her comment and I called her and told her that and we had like you know I got emotional and so did she and I was just like I just feel like it's really important especially because you have grandkids who are black whether there's what whatever color their actually skin is like that's their history Mm -hmm. and that's what we're going to raise them as such and Mm -hmm. I just want you to know like how we feel about this and and how what you wrote which I wish I could remember what it is because it's not good context no it's all um so I I had to have that conversation with his be, family because yeah. I asked him to have it and he was like no yeah, yeah, and I I'll was like honest, then like, I'll do I, it I don't I don't like confrontation in any form like I've never liked confrontation I don't like fighting I don't like mm-hmm. having to tell someone they did something wrong like I just don't I I try to just distance myself from that you know like if that's someone feeling a type of way or like someone's angry or aggressive like. I leave that on them and like almost to the conversations I have with her father, like it's like, that's their karma. And like, I'm good with just walking away and being Yeah, I didn't even tell things. you though, when we were just in New York with your mom, she actually came up to me and thanked me for having that conversation. She was like, I never thought about it from that perspective. And I really appreciate you taking the time to call me and, and talk through that because and that's what I was saying before, I'm not going to allow the people in my life that I surround our family with to have a past to say, oh, she didn't mean that. Well, mm-hmm. like, well, then yeah. what did you mean? So, yeah. you know, and, and you can tell me and people will say things and don't realize. And so that's OK. But you if someone's trying to tell you, like, why that's offensive, then you should hear that, too. And she did, which was great. But yeah, yeah, I guess. And I guess, I I mean, I do, I have to get better with that. But like, there was a situation with my, my cousin who put, um, she put like all lives matter on her Facebook or whatnot. And like, 
I try to stay away from Facebook. Like I'll just post pictures of our daughters, like, cause it's like our family's back in New York. So mm-hmm. I try to keep things all positive, happy, whatever. And my cousin is like, she's got a heart of gold. Like she's, she's just like, she means no harm to nobody. And like, I would, I just tried to defend her saying, yeah, like, he, all he said because, she like, posted something on Facebook. Please don't start anything. Well, no, but then Molly's so, father called me. No, but before that, I already posted. Oh, yeah, yeah. I already commented yeah, on like it. She commented told her why it was offensive. Um, her her father called me and was like, "Your cousin," and I was like, "I'm not her spokesperson. <laughs> like, like, what do you want me to do? Like, um, and then you know, I have to defend her and." I just don't think it's my place to like, you know, reach out to her. Like if that, if George felt the type of way, like, and he's friends with her, like he can reach out to her, but I don't know like where things come into play. where like where I have to intervene and say something, you know, like it's, it's difficult because I know her. Like, I feel like I know her intentions. I feel like my opinion on that is you don't have to say something to everybody that, you know, especially if you're not, calling out every single person but if you're calling out people and then you just like give someone a pass but I think like what I commented on her post was just kind of like here's you know why I see it differently and it was just fine it was nice it was fine whatever but I don't think you need to call out every single person and be like and to my dad to ask you to answer for that I don't think you need to answer for that you're but not I, her i'll but. just i'll wrap with this i think the majority of the times like what molly did i think it sucks in the beginning like for me because i'm like oh she's got this clash with my mom and it's like just an awkward conversation for me to hear but then you see down the line that like it's it, it ends up being a good thing because like you know my mom thought about it she understood what she said might have been perceived as wrong um and, and it probably was wrong and then she thanked her for it. But then also there's people like my cousin who literally like yeah, went the other people. way. But then I'm like, I'm, I don't need you in my life, to be mm-hmm. honest. That, I would have said that to your mom. But if you can't even, you know, come to a place where you can have a conversation and respectfully like disagree and share your reasons and have a conversation, but still being an empathetic human being. Yeah. Um, then I just, even if you're blood, I don't, I don't need that in my life. I don't need that to be the example for my kids. So. Yeah. yeah. Sorry if we like that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I think this is really important discussion because I think it touches on so many things and it's like this idea of like nice, kind people and the fact that they can't be racist, but nice, kind people are racist and yeah. their decisions and their impacts, uh, their decisions impact people of color in such like, um, a negative way. And so when I hear someone or see someone say all lives matter, it enrages, like it lights a fire in me because I'm like, it's usually these people that, um, are not like concerned about the kids in cages at the border. They're not like concerned about like the fact that black men are dying at alarming rates because of the police. They just say it as a rebuttal to black lives matter without truly understanding why black lives matter exist. And I, I think, I think it's just, it's, it's so difficult for me because that's like the moment that you say all lives matter, it's like, Oh my gosh, like you obviously don't get it and you don't care to understand because 
we have such widespread access to the internet um, that you could take 10 minutes of your day to like Google Black Lives Matter and understand why Black Lives Matter um, exists. But it, it, it just plays into this idea that, that because someone's nice or because someone's kind that they can't be racist, but they can be. Just because they're not part of the KKK doesn't mean that they can't be racist. I think we've all grown up being taught to be biased because of the media, because of like whatever beliefs our parents, or our families may have had that passed down to us. Like if you watch the show Cops when you were younger, you would think that all black people are criminals because it was white police officers just arresting black people. Like you would grow up thinking that and you could be a nice, kind person, but still be racist in that sense and that you like that is a concept that is a misconception that you have and it's harmful to other people. So yeah, and I, think I think it's so important that you bring that up. But I also think that the term racist has gotten this like I mean it is a negative word, but I people have seen it as like if you were called that you are the worst person on earth, which depending if how your philosophy on life is, you might be the worst person <laughs> on earth. But I was reading I've been reading a lot about like anti-racism and all this stuff and there you can be a racist in one way and anti-racist on another matter right so like for your for your cousin in that she is saying that is a is a racist thing to do right that doesn't mean that she can't change that had you had the conversation with her but i think that for many years i've even believed this is like if you call someone a racist it's like that just sounds awful like how can i call somebody that i love that um, and I've had to do that very, very frequently lately, but that doesn't, for me, it's like the hope for me is like, they're just committing a racist act. And it doesn't mean they can't change that or that they can be anti-racist. So I, I get it, Corey. It's so hard to have those conversations in like For me, it's like pick and choose, but I, I can hear Molly's side. It's like, I'm not giving anyone a pass. Like if I'm going to sit here and live with like this dignity and this integrity that I have, and I'm going to be like, okay. Hey, all, you know, all like, it's all about equality. And then I hear somebody say something like that. And I'm like, damn, that doesn't make me feel good. But if I say something, that's not going to make me feel good either. But I can't like not say anything. So it's, it's a, it's a battle, man. Like, I feel you. That's really hard. Really hard. Yeah. You know, there's just so many layers to, there's just so many layers to yeah. everything is like one rebuttal can be rebut with something else like you know like uh, especially yeah, on social I, media I, yeah, yeah i feel yeah. like i draw the line at like anybody who's going to be in our lives and have interactions with my kids then they don't get a pass from me then that's kind of where yeah. i could i'm i'm not um and again like all you can do is have these conversations with people it's, it doesn't mean that you're going to change their views but hopefully mm -hmm. they learn something from the conversation yeah. And maybe they start to change their views, but I'm going to let them know that, like, I don't agree with that. And yeah. see what they're saying is, like you said, um, a racist act or the way mm -hmm. they, they worded something. And it's like you said before, it's like what you do with that after. So mm -hmm. if I have that conversation and then they literally just go back to doing something, then I'm like, that's not somebody I need to have in my life and maybe the capacity they are today. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a it, it it is a very interesting time with all the things that um everyone is is navigating. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah. Um, so I would love to end the conversation with asking you both what tips you have for interracial couples that are navigating tough conversations around race. I would say kind of like what we've been talking about, but being open. So, you know, a lot of times if you're in an interracial couple, actually, I'm not even going to generalize and say that, but I was going to say there's like different religions at play or there's, yeah. mm-hmm. there's, there's, well, there's a lot of different things in any relationship, but when you have an interracial relationship, there's typically like different cultural things as well. Yeah. And so I think if you're going into that type of relationship, you really have to be open on all fronts to learning about um, their family, their history, what's important to them. It could be, you know, different holidays that you're going to be celebrating now. And so being open to all of that and being able to have those conversations, because, you know, I know for us, like I grew up going to Catholic school, Corin is Jewish. And so I converted. And so for some people, like that could be a deal breaker if their tradition is their religion is like, um, and so deeper than just the, you know, actual skin color, and maybe you're attracted to someone, but there's different cultural things too, that um, come into play. And then also with their family, that if you're really close with your family, that are also going to come into play. So um, me being able to have this relationship with his mother and him with my father is so important, I think, to both of us because we're such huge family people. But I think just being able to be open um, and, and appreciate that has been huge for us um, in our relationship. And like we talked in the very beginning, just kind of growing up together, um, I don't think we would be where we are today, you know, in our marriage, um, in our life without the support of our families. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think just having that appreciation of the things that, that I don't necessarily know and like listening to Molly's perspective on things like she went to the supermarket and a lady was like, Oh, is that your daughter? Like just a little comment like that, where I would never get a comment like that. Cause you know, my daughter's the same skin tone as me. Yeah. He's got to, you know, live with, you know, maybe a comment like that or other, com- like, I just have to, have an appreciation and understanding that like she you she goes through things differently than I do and that's why I love that she tells me these things like the thing with the nurse or um lady at the grocery store because I wouldn't I don't I'm not seeking I'm not reading any books on you know nurse like malfunction malpractice malpractice, (laughs) like Mm. on my own you know I need someone to tell me that and I love Mm. that like she's so curious about those things and continues to learn um and educate herself on that because it only makes our relationship stronger it makes it's gonna make our daughters start to realize that stuff and hopefully make them become good people um because i i don't know it's it's key to just continue like learning i don't know yeah so like being open and like also being able to listen that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't know the things you don't know. Like I was raised how I was raised and I thought everything was good and now I see different perspective on things, you know? Like 
I would have been with like one of my black friends when I was younger and I would just thought everything was fine, but like maybe they're getting looked at differently at a candy store than, than I am or something, you know, like, um, and now, you know, it's just something that like, I guess I'll be conscious of if, you know, my daughter is hanging out with someone who's black, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just having that awareness is, is important. And I think that's something that happens in interracial relationships because without it, you know, it's just a like a blonde guy and a blonde wife and they're blonde kids and everything's fucking blonde for them. Like, <laughs> um, so I, I think I think there's just something so beautiful with like a mix of just everything happening. Like we were in Brooklyn once um, at this diner and like our father's black, um, our daughter's white. We were with like. I don't, I don't know if Luther was there. He's Asian. Like, and someone just came by the table and was just like, I don't know what's happening here, but it's beautiful. Like, and it just like stuck. I was like, it is beautiful. Like things are just so beautiful when everybody could just get along and just appreciate everybody for who they are, what they are, what they like, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, You just need that mix to, to understand that. That's why I love New York. You go down the street, you see that shit all day. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, we, we live in the suburbs of Illinois and we're actually by Kenosha, which is scary, but like you, you see people put in like Trump um, things outside of their house. And like, I don't know. I think there's something to your kid being raised in like the city. Cause it's just like where I grew up in New Rochelle it was a mix of everything. There was black, there was Mexican, there was Italian. And it was just like a melting pot and it was amazing some kids don't get to experience that and mm-hmm. and they, get, they they grow up in this bubble and that's how they go their whole life that i was just going to say the other thing i think if you're in an interrelationship uh interracial relationship but you also have kids i think it's also important to make sure you're bringing in kind of both um cultures mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. that because as i was saying with nick's you know just based off the color of her skin but then also because of where we live, there's really no diversity where mm-hmm. we are. So we don't plan to have them go to school out here. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, while we are here and how I was saying before, kids make these decisions on who they're going to play with at school based on the things that they're used to. And yeah. it, already, it already starts as young as two. So like these things already are ingrained in themselves. So it's really important to me to make sure like she sees my family regularly because in, in our house, and the people she's with, they are all white. I am like the darkest person that she sees regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting on FaceTime with our family and making sure that she is also exposed to that, I think is also really important because I don't want her to grow up and like not even know that there's other yeah. things out there than just white yeah. people, which is like basically what's in her life right now aside from me. And so I think that's a big piece too, is like if you are wanting and not everybody, I don't know why. I think it's really important that she's exposed to both sides of our family and then learning about her history of both sides. Again, Corin is Jewish. So, um, you know, his history there or, you know, Jewish history, Mm -hmm. um, but also black history is, is very important to know like the things that our ancestors have, have been through. Right. Out of curiosity, has that come up for your daughter? Like the color of your skin? Oh Yeah. Yeah, we we talk about it 
and she'll say she knows like all of my family and so she'll say my skin is like her cousin Brie or like and she'll, mm-hmm. she'll say my skin is white like daddy and then I'll try to tell her although her skin color like she's still black like me and so yeah. like she doesn't understand that but she knows like the color of the skin and she'll list people who are the same color as me um and then the same as like corn so we do talk about like different skin colors and we tell her just like that all skin colors and then recently um we in Cortland so we were we were just there we ate at uh central is it called central central city, city. Yeah, city yeah yeah we, we she likes the white chili chicken nachos chili nachos yeah, yeah so we yeah. stopped there and um we saw someone who was in a wheelchair and she was so confused she was like what's that mm-hmm. and so you know, having those conversations, just that everybody is different. And so I think it's so important, just like I said, from a young age, because a lot of these things are taught, which is so scary to think about all the racism and stuff. And it's just like all the hate that people have, it's taught like that is like people learn that from their parents. And so it's so important from a young age to just teach inclusivity to kids. But then it's scary to even think and like in school, how things could, yeah, you know, a black kid is going to be treated differently than a white kid maybe, or, you know, but it's important to also teach kids that that's what happens. So like, it's important to teach your kid, regardless of their skin color, that they know that a black person might be treated differently and then tell them why that's not okay. And how, you know, and not just like pretend it doesn't happen because then kids grow up to think like they live in this purple perfect bubble world but um you know and then if you're in a school like where you grew up where you see all these different kids you probably have seen some of that where I grew up in a school where like it was all white and so you didn't really see much of that outside of what I saw in my family so yeah yeah but side note I was looking up like the most um diverse neighborhoods like in the New York state and new new Rochelle comes up as like the number number two or something like that like something crazy I was very shocked I mean I've been to new Rochelle um I've never lived there but like I was like oh that's awesome so it's cool to hear that you had that experience um but shout out to both of you for just having those conversations with your kids like I'm trying to think back um to my childhood and like, you know, I'm, I'm very white passing. Right. So it's not like my mom was going to sit there and be like, you know, you're going to go through, you know, but I think even if I was, I don't know that she would have had that conversation. There were different times. So I think it's so important that you're having these conversations at such a young age that you're so aware of it and that you're doing it together. Um, I think that that just, yeah, this this stuff is taught and like, we need each generation to do the work and like your kids are going to benefit from the fact that you work raising them this way um because when they go out into the world like the world is going to show them something completely different um so I just wanted to say that because I think that that's super important and I think fostering that curiosity where your daughter feels comfortable to say like why why is this person why do they look this way I think is important because I think curiosity is so important for people to continue to explore the world and to understand why things work a certain way and then to be able to change that. So to be able to look at something and say, why why do the playgrounds look different in white neighborhoods than they do in like 
um, in like Latinx or black neighborhoods? Like wh- what is like, as in, even as an adult, like why, why is that the difference? And then understanding why and then being like, okay, how can I change that? Because that's not right. right. Um, so I think it's so important that you're teaching your kids, like you're fostering this curiosity, but also teaching them like, okay. And that's not okay when you see that, because that's yeah. what fosters that change. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and going back to what I said, like what I wouldn't do with my cousins or whatnot, like <laughs> they're, they're difficult conversations, even with a yeah. two-year-old, like, yeah. but they're necessary, you know, because yep. without them, she wouldn't know any of this stuff. Like, so yep. it's necessary to have these yeah. conversations. I very vividly remember having these conversations with my dad, like as far back as I can remember. Yeah. Like, I don't ever remember a time we didn't talk about it in my house. And I think it's because we grew up in a very white area, there was literally no diversity there. Mm -hmm. So it was always just something that we talked about. And I think the curiosity piece is so important. But then also, my parents made sure to get us experiences. So we were exposed to other through karate, through martial arts. That's how Mm -hmm. like we met people from all different backgrounds. And so and then going my dad's from Brooklyn, going back, back Mm -hmm. there and things like that. But, But I, I just I think it's so important for parents to just from a young age foster that, you know. With yeah. Absolutely. You teaching your kids karate too? Oh, our our daughter will be starting jujitsu when she turns three. Oh my god, that's awesome! Back in New York and jujitsu, you can kind of like move easier versus karate. So yeah, that's. I think that's really important mm-hmm. as a woman. Um, I'm a black belt, and to oh shit, be able to defend yourself. Yeah, um, is just you know, even as a male, but as a female, I think being able to defend yourself and feeling confident, like Corinne said, I lived in Harlem and I always mm-hmm. felt like I was ready. I, you know, if mm-hmm. anything happened. And so I want my, both of our daughters to have the skills to, you know, because as women, it's, there's, it's not always safe out there. So. Yeah. Right. Right. So should we expect you in New York like next week or something? Or? <laughs> to corn but the plan is to hopefully move back you know before the girls start school so it's just it's hard when you're you know an adult and like you have two, two jobs and stuff so yeah yeah but i mean i can't imagine what kids to align everything yeah. up you know to yeah. get everything to align so you can move back and so yeah sell the house you know jobs, and then yeah. get new jobs and like in the same area and stuff so it's just like daunting yeah 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 you think new rochelle or too expensive yeah wherever (laughs) it's like affordable yeah i hear that yeah which is nowhere but (laughs) ithaca ithaca yeah how's right is rochester pretty decent like what's yeah i mean compared to you know like westchester county but i like in work I work in, in like corporate HR mm-hmm. and so there's like nothing upstate and he works in sports. So like, I don't, it's yeah. like we got to downstate New York. So, and I also don't want to commute because mm. it's also really important to me to show up for my kids. And so yeah. I want to be there and be at things and I don't want to have to like commute seven hours to work every day. So yeah, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> yeah. The commute is not fun. Well, yeah. let's know how we can help with that transition when you're ready. Uh, we literally just did it four, five months ago. Yeah, uh, we moved from San Francisco during the pandemic to Brooklyn um, with a dog. 
Yeah. And I love to look at houses. I don't own any, but if you're going <laughs> to buy the house, I can, I'm more than willing to go take video footage for you. Yeah. I would totally enjoy that. It's all about community. We had our buddy check out this apartment. Like yeah. he didn't even see it, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for this great conversation and for being so vulnerable um, and open with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Same here. You guys. Thanks, yeah. Jess, for setting it up. Of course. Any last things before we go? Tell the fans. <laughs> a, a plug for uh, Molly's Mind? Anything? I don't know. We haven't done yeah. it in a while, but very opinionated, <laughs> and I love yeah. it. And um, I love she's she's guiding our family the right way. I'm just in the passenger seat along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you guys are cute. You're you're a team. I see it. I feel I feel the energy there. So I, I appreciate you. Podcast, and I love what you guys put it out the content and congratulations on the podcast table yeah thank you thank you thank you, you roe for the table yeah shout out to roe um if you need a podcast table he's in new jersey <laughs> or anything made out of wood yeah just anything yeah. made out of wood awesome well thank you so much uh we appreciate it um we'll definitely have you guys back on i'm sure for for more conversation all right take care bye, bye.